Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Fusion Church, 6 a.m. soap. Can you guys hear me all right? Get some thumbs up. Awesome. Awesome. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here. We are today in Luke 2 verses. Uh, you like that, Nicole? Luke 2, uh, Luke 2 verses 1 through 7. Um, my Bible says uh, Christ born of Mary. So um, we have a lot to unpack here. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit more context of what was happening during this time. Um that Jesus was born in, in the, in the, the area. And, um, it's going to be good. So let's pray. And then we're going to jump right into it. Father, we love you, Lord. And we just, we just thank you for this time, father, that we get to, to dig into your word, father, and, and, and talk about the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, father, the birth, uh, the most important birth that's, that's ever happened in the history of the world, father, the most significant birth, father, Lord, and, and what you were doing during that time, Father, to make this happen, Lord, so that we could be saved, Father. Father, be with us during this time, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, and, and just give us new wisdom and new insights, Father. We praise you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Give it a stretch. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, and I am reading from the New King James Version. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Amen. Amen. All right. Short passage, but a whole lot to unpack. So, so Luke tells us of, of actual history, right? When he says... It came to pass in those days. Okay, this is real history. These are real events. He's not saying like, you know, once upon a time, there was a virgin, you know, she was about to give birth to a baby. No, he was saying it came to pass. Okay, Luke is not trying to uh, make us guess. He is saying this really happened. Okay. This was an imaginary story of, you know, Zeus or Mount Olympus or any of the, you know, anything else. This was... This was a real event that took place. And it says a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, the, the, the story of, of the birth of Jesus began during the reign of arguably one of the most remarkable men in history. All right. Caesar Augustus, the first Caesar of, of, of Rome, he was born Octavius and his great uncle was Julius Caesar. 
And in roughly 45 BC, Julius Caesar adopted Octavius as his as his official heir. And after Caesar was murdered, for decades, the, the whole Mediterranean area was, was filled with war and violence. Okay. Um, around 31 BC, Octavian and Mark Anthony, they became rivals. And Mark Anthony, you know, and there's been, you know, there's plenty of history about Mark Anthony and, and Julius Caesar and Cleopatra and all this stuff. There's movies, there's TV, there's all kinds of stuff. Okay. So these are real, real people, but I want to, I want to reference these to put it into context of what was happening during this time. So um, Mark Anthony, with the help of Cleopatra, he brought 500 warships and about 100,000 foot soldiers and cavalry and all these against Octavian. And Octavian had much less. He had 400 warships, about 80,000 infantry. Um, But Octavian defeated him. And he defeated the combined forces of Mark Anthony and his Roman soldiers and Cleopatra and her Egyptian soldiers. Um, so now, so, but by doing this, he became the sole ruler of Rome, right? The sole ruler of, of the entire Roman world. And this is when he became Caesar Augustus. Um, he took on the mantle of, of Caesar. So at this point, there was no Roman emperor. Right, they were a republic, right? They were governed by a senate. Um, but over time, Octavian was able to amass more and more power. Um, and this is the world that Jesus was born into. Okay, this was this was what was happening around the time when Jesus was born. It was a a, a world wrecked by war and, and destruction, brutality, immorality. It was so prevalent in the area. And the, 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 but the authority of Caesar Augustus changed the chaos of that time in a very dramatic way. He, he brought, he brought a few things um, when he came into power that changed everything. He brought peace because he had defeated all his rivals. No one wanted to come against him anymore. Once he defeated Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, he brought peace. He brought political and administrative skills. And it's thought that he was, he was very, probably very, very brilliant politically. And administratively, and he brought vast sums of money from from Egypt, so he could pay the soldiers, he could pay, uh, and he could take care of, of Rome. But as great of a man as Caesar Augustus was, he was just a man. You know, he he demanded absolute power over the Roman Empire, and and for, for hundreds of years prior to this, Rome was it prided itself on being a republic, right? Uh, a government of the people, you know, and and they had their senators, and and they 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 took care of the people, but now, um, and they pride itself on being a nation of laws, governed by laws, not governed by one man, but Octavius, Julius Caesar, he changed all of that. And again, in, in 27 BC, he arranged for the, the the Roman Senate to give him the title of Augustus, right? This which means. Um, exalted. Augustus means sacred. So now Rome wasn't a republic anymore. It was an empire governed by an emperor. And Caesar Augustus, again, was the first Roman emperor ever. And this says, this says something important about the world that Jesus was born into. It was a world that was hungry for a savior, right? And it was a world that was living um, 
in the reign of a political savior in Caesar Augustus, but this political savior wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to save the entire world. Verse two says, talks about a census and um, the registration and the, 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 the census that's described here wasn't a simple uh, record keeping um, or statistics or just, just to count um, how many people were within the empire. It was, it was to uh, effectively um, tax everyone. Okay. Let's count everyone. How much can we tax everybody? Right. Cause we got bills to pay, you know? And so that's what was the, 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 the point of it. And it says it first took place. So the, the, this idea wasn't, um, the, the idea in the original language is that this was the first time this particular type of census took place. And, um, because taxation and, and censuses for, for taxation was commonplace in Rome, but this was the first time it was used. Um, this particular type was, was used in the time. And there was another one that's written about later in Acts 5, verses 37, but this was the first time. Um, it says, while Quirinius was governing it in, in Syria, this is another um, historical anchor, if you will, right? Another way to really to root this in that this is real. This is this is history. These are real people. Okay. A lot of times people like look at the Bible and say, those are pretty stories. Those are cute, you know, whatever. But no, Luke, the physician, right? He was a, a man of facts, a man of figures, right? And so when he's writing, he's writing about factual things. Right. Verse three says, so all went to be registered. So imagine one man sitting in Rome, he gives a command and the entire known world has to respond. That's power, right? You know, one, one dude sitting on a throne is like, I want this to happen. And everyone has to act. But because after up to this point, there had never been a man with power over more lives than Caesar Augustus. Okay. At this point in history, he was the most important, most powerful, most significant man in history. But Caesar Augustus wasn't really all that powerful at all. In John 19, Jesus confronted another Roman official who believed he was power, who believed he could do whatever he wanted, who believed he could not be touched, who believed that he gave a command that it was his right and no one could tell him otherwise. In John 19, 10, it says, then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? In verse 11, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. This same principle applies to Caesar Augustus. Whatever power he had, whatever authority he had, was given power, was given authority. And that given power and given authority was given by God. Given by God. God. So it doesn't matter who's above you, who's over you, who's in, who's in office, who's your governor, who's your mayor, who's who's the president. It don't it don't matter. Whatever power they think they have, that is power given by God. That is power given by God for an allotted time. Amen. So we don't have to worry about what's going on because we serve the God that gives all power and authority. We serve the God that puts these people in place, allows them to be in place for a certain amount of time. So we don't got to worry what's going on around us, amen, because we know who we serve. We know who is fully in control. So as he sat in his palace, Caesar Augustus, he made his decree. He thought 
it was it was the supreme exercise of his will, right? Supreme, the, the ultimate flexing of his political muscle, that he could do whatever he wanted. But again, he was just a tool in God's hand. God was ultimately in control because you see, God had promised that there would be a Messiah that would come and would be born in Bethlehem. He promised this in Micah 5 2. And that promise would be fulfilled. So, how does one, right, get a young couple from Nazareth down to Bethlehem when they might not even want to travel? Mary was pregnant. They don't want to travel, right? But God knows, like, I made a promise. And all my promises are yes and amen. So this is going to happen. So what does he do? He allows a Roman official to get into ultimate power to make a decree. He's going to work through the, quote, political savior of the world, right? So now this people have to go to Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus, for as powerful as he was, was simply a pawn in God's ultimate plan. He was a pawn. He was nothing. If you play chess, you know a pawn is the lowest ranking um, character on the board, the lowest piece. So this ultimate power, this supreme authority, the most powerful man in the known world was nothing but a pawn in God's ultimate plan. So while he thought he had all the power, he thought he could do whatever he wanted, right? He thought he could snap his fingers and everyone's going to move. Nah, homie. He is nothing but a pawn in God's ultimate plan. And, and we, we also see that Augustus, for all his accomplished, could, could never be the real answer. God, because God allowed Caesar Augustus to use um, his, un, his, his unheard human power for many reasons. In some ways, some ways uh, Caesar Augustus could be viewed like the Roman John the Baptist because, because of what he did, he prepared the way for Jesus to come. Right. And at the end of the story, no matter what Caesar Augustus did, the most important part of the story, brothers and sisters, the most important thing that we can gather from all this is Jesus. Jesus. Because let me ask you a question Who does the world know more about today? Jesus or Caesar Augustus? Right. How many of you, if I didn't go into the history of Caesar Augustus becoming the first Roman Empire, really had an idea about anything about the Roman Empires and how he came to power? But we know about Jesus. We know about Jesus. We know what Jesus has done. We know how Jesus has saved us. We have so much history about Jesus. So who has the most lasting legacy? And we're going to see here in a few in a few minutes, you know, how Jesus came to be born and where he was born and, and some of the significance around that. But if you look at this powerful man, Caesar Augustus, right, who who the Caesars, you know, you know, later on in, in, in history, they're they're viewed as gods, right? They're worshipped as gods, right? But can can any of y'all name five Caesars, you know, and throughout history? Give me, give me three Caesars. Give me their names. A lot of us can't do it, but you know Jesus. Can you name five disciples? I bet you can, right? 
Jesus is what matters. Jesus is who is most important. It goes on to say, everyone to his own 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 city. So, so <clears throat> there's there's no record in in secular history that Augustus decreed this census or, or commanded it to be taken place um, in this manner. But it but it is consistent with what we know about him throughout history. Um, Caesar was was known to be very um, sensitive uh, to to um, the the nationalistic feelings of his subjects. Okay. So Rome had control over many, many countries, right? All different types of people. They live within the Roman empire, right? But Caesar Augustus wasn't trying at this point, at least to make everyone Roman. Okay. Later Caesars, they did all kinds of craziness, but this, this particular Caesar, he was sensitive to that because so it's, it's kind of like, if we're going to take control over you, we're not going to try to change every single thing. You know, we want you to gradually become in. That way, it's more like your decision to become more like Rome. Okay, so he was very sensitive to to the feelings of a subject. So, so when he commanded them to return to the cities to the cities of origins for the census, um, it, it was it, it kind of softened the blow for many, right? Because it's like he's not saying everyone come to Rome, right? I don't care if you like it or not, come to Rome. No, he's saying, nah, go go to your 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 place of origin. Go to where your family's from, right? So you may have to travel, right? And you're gonna have to pay taxes, you know, once you once you enroll in the census and, and you're, you're counted for. But but you're also gonna get be able to get together with family and 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 see relatives and see people and things that you may not have seen for a very very long time, you know. So this kind of softened the blow for many people who had to make this crazy trek. It says verse four, Joseph also went up from Galilee. So the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 80 miles, right? And in those days, it's not a short distance. 80 miles is, is a haul, right? And it was a very significant undertaking. And it was an undertaking that cost time and money. You know, Joseph had to get, you know, him and his wife, his betrothed, um, 80 miles. 80 miles, that's a long way. And we've all seen the depictions of, of him walking and Mary on the donkey and, and, and they're going. That's a, that's a long trip. You know, because Mary, she was with child. She was with child and, and, and ladies who have been pregnant. Okay, imagine, just imagine. You're pregnant and now you're riding on a donkey, a stinky, smelly donkey. And you're just walking. Just walking, you know, and the deserts that they're walking through, they're not smooth deserts. There's rocks. It's very unsturdy. You're going uphill, downhill. It's, it's very, very, very dangerous. We often think that Mary was close to delivery when they made this journey, but, you know, we don't really know. That may not have been the case. You know, we know she was pregnant, but we just don't know how far along she was. Joseph um, may may have been anxious to get her out of Nazareth to to um, avoid the pressure of the scandal because everyone knew she was a virgin and then she got pregnant, right? So what does that tell everyone? You know, it was scandalous, right? Mary wasn't living right, you know. Mary, you know, she she was 
words that I cannot and will not use in this, in this form of communication, right? That's what people, people were talking about her and then talking about him because he was taking her on. So to avoid all that, come on, because nothing says that Joseph had to bring Mary with him, right? She was his betrothed. She was going to be his wife. Okay. And, and, and Jewish customs, there's, there's, there's different levels of betrothal to be married. I'm not going to get into all that. So Joseph still had the option to not be her husband. He could, you know, and and Matthew says he was going to put her away quietly. Like I was going to end this where, you know, but you know, he, he, he takes her on as his wife. And, and so to avoid all that pressure, all the stuff that's going on, come with me. So they're making this journey and it goes and Luke goes on to tell us that it was why they were in Bethlehem, verse six, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Again, Mary didn't have to go with him, but it made sense because, you know, this was a controversial pregnancy and it could happen at any time. So, so, and, and surely back in Nazareth, people were still talking. So come on. And it was why they were in Bethlehem. You know, he had already accepted her as his wife, according to Matthew uh, 1, verse 24. So, so Joseph, I believe, used the emperor's order as a way of removing Mary from gossip, removing Mary from the emotional stress, you know, in her own village. Verse 7 says, and she brought forth her firstborn son. So one of the striking things about this is Luke's narrative is how simple it is in contrast to how great the events are. Okay. Luke was a physician, matter of fact, facts and figures. What's, what's the truth. Let's just get this, get to the point, you know, today, small events are often overinflated, right. With extra description presented as more important than they really are. Right. You know, you, you know, you, you do something, you know, you do something small at work. Hey, but it, I did this great thing at work. I saved the whole company. You know, people like to embellish, right? But Luke is taking this crazy, huge event, right? And it's getting to the facts. This is what happened, right? Because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke is presenting this amazing event as a as an understated thing, right? This just happened. Um, why? The Holy Spirit had Luke write it this way. I can't answer that. Um, I think because there's a lot of people when, okay, guys, all right, I'm going to talk to, I want to talk to the fellows who have wives, right? When your wife's telling you a story, right? Okay. When your wife's telling your story, get to the point, right? This happened. Tell me how this happened. I don't need to know all the backstory. I don't need to know how this person felt, how that person felt. I don't need all the background information, you know, get to the point. How was your day? I had a good day. Cool. I don't need, I'm going to talk quiet because my wife, she's just, she's asleep. But knowing her, as soon as I, as soon as I started talking, she was like this, she's like, ding, like eyes open. Right. But I don't need every single detail. Right. You know? But that's that's us, right? And I believe, you know, Matthew's uh, version of this story. There's a lot of detail, right? Luke's version is very matter of fact to the point. She was pregnant. She had the baby. Okay. Um, 
And I believe that's because the Lord knows people, different people need to be told the story in different ways, different versions of the story. It's the same story, the same message. Nothing has changed, but the details, you know, Luke's not going to go into all kinds of details. Okay. When y'all see my wife, don't tell her I said that. Tell her, tell her, tell her I said, I said, oh, I love the details, baby. I love the details. Nicole, I'm, I'm counting on you. Don't, don't tell her. You're on my side. Stop shaking your head. All right. But it goes on and says, she brought forth. And we're, we're not told that anyone assisted Mary. We're not telling, we're not told that there was a, a midwife there. Um, um, though there may have been someone there, but one way or another, this young woman, right? Young teenage girl. You know, we don't know if she was 12, 13, 14, you know, it's, there's all different kinds of ideas of exactly how old, but we know she was young. Okay. This wasn't a 21 year old woman. This was a teenage girl completely separated from her family, completely separated from any of her friends who lived back in Nazareth. And she brought forth her son. She brought forth the savior of the world. How amazing is that? So when did this happen? Um, December 25th is, is improbable, but it's not impossible. We don't really know. Um, December 25th was a date that was kind of made popular in the, around the fourth century. <clears throat> um, when this happened, um, there's a, a Christian apologetist named Justin Martyr. In, in AD 50, he said that the place that Jesus was born was in a cave in Bethlehem. Um, under Constantine, this particular cave in, in AD 330, um, Emperor Constantine, a church was built over the cave. Um, and many believe that this was the, the site where Jesus was born. Um, it says her firstborn son. This, this, is, this invites the logical conclusion that Mary had other children after Jesus. All right. Despite what the, the, the Roman Catholic uh, teaching of the, the, the perpetual virginity of Mary. Nah, she had other kids. Okay. You know, Joseph honored her by not um, having relations with her until after Jesus was born. Okay. Because if he had relations prior, right, it would have, it would, would have negated the fact that she was a virgin um, who had, who, who gave birth to a child. Right. But there were other siblings. We know of two of them, right. His half brothers who wrote the books of James and the books of Jude in the new Testament. So, Mary had other kids, okay? She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And these cloths are, 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 are snugly wrapped strips of cloth. And um, more, more remarkable than the cloth, though, was the fact that he was laid in a manger. And the manger is the feeding trough where the animals would eat their food. And this is where she placed the Savior. This is where she placed our Lord, right? And this is the picture we have of the nativity. And, and during this time of year, you know, many of us, we set up nativities in our homes. And these nativities feature an adorable baby laying on, on golden straw and surrounded by Mary and Joseph. And there's lambs and, and there's the shepherds who are around, right? And um, even the nativities have, you know, the wise men, which didn't happen to actually a couple years later. Um, but all oh, this picture, this beautiful picture, right? And then we have, you know, and it's all, it's all idyllic, right? It's, it's so nice. And, and we, we have this picture because while we know that Jesus is, 
you know, first century birth was not clean or sanitary by modern standards. We want it to look as warm and inviting as possible. But listen, when we when we clean up the story of Jesus' birth like this, we risk sanitizing the gospel. My my wife and I, we recently returned from a trip to Israel and, and we went to Bethlehem. And we visit, visited the site where um, it's believed that the angels appeared to the shepherds. And as we, as we walked to the site, the smell was overpowering, right? It, it was not a nice place to be, you know? And, and in the first century, the, the stench of sheep marked shepherds as outcasts. In fact, to, to, to smell like a shepherd was the mark of shame. When you smelled of sheep, everyone knew you were to be avoided. Stay away. But this is good news for each and every one of us. Because Jesus loved you so much that he stepped out of heaven to be right, to be born right in the middle of our shame, to be born right in the middle of our mess. Even the, word, the, the Hebrew word for stable in the Bible, it's refeth, and it comes from the root meaning to sink down or to drop down. Jesus dropped down from heaven to be born amongst the outcasts, to be born amongst the overlooked, to be born amongst the, the marginalized of society. When we sanitize the nativity, we sanitize this, the story of the birth of Jesus, we strip away the incredible power of the Christmas story. That Jesus came to be a shepherd, to be surrounded by outcasts, to be amongst the messed up, amongst the lost, amongst the marginalized, and to carry our shame on his shoulders. There's a picture of Jesus with a, with a lamb on his shoulders, the shepherd with the lamb. The Bible says that he'll leave the 99 for the one. Jesus, our good shepherd, came down to find you where you're at, when you're at your loneliest, when you're at your lowest, to find you, to hoist you on his shoulders and to bring you back home. And that is a promise, brothers and sisters. That is the story of many of us. Arguably all of us have this story of where Jesus came to where we were at, at our lowliest, at our nastiest, and said, I found you. I found you when it's time to come home. Amen. Amen. 630. Perfect time. Whew. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we just thank you for this good news. We praise you for what you did for us. We thank you, Lord, that you came down. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who was there at the beginning. And you humbled yourself to become like us, to be born in, not in a palace, not to have servants and, and, and all, all of your whims just taken care of, Father. No, you came down to be low like us, to be dirty like us, to be amongst our sin, not to become sin yet, but to be amongst all of our, our junk that we have in our lives, to meet us right where we're at, Father, so you can take us by, by your hand. And bring us home, Lord God. So, Father, we just praise you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we will never look at the, the story of Christmas, the story of your birth, as just another cute story. 
as a story that we need to we need to talk about once a year. But Father, as a story that we can talk about every single day and give thanks for who you are and what you have done to us. So Father, we praise you, Lord, and we love you for everything that you are and for everything that you've done for us. In your holy, precious, precious name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. All right, brothers and sisters, I love you, and I will see you again next week. God bless.